Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. We are continuing the road trip on the RV and today we are speaking to Bob Albo in Napa, California. Bob is an engineer and also the author of the book Her Dark Matter Necklace. His book combines sci-fi, spirituality and transformation. Welcome, Bob. Thank you, Lucia. Thrilled to be here. I'm very happy to visit you in California, of course. So, Bob, you started writing a couple of years ago. What were you doing before? Well, before writing, I was working in the high technology industry. And in fact, I was doing that for about uh, 30 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and on top of that, I was raising a family. We have uh, three grown children. So it was pretty much heads down living, <laughs> living my life. Yeah, and I know some engineers, uh, and I think it's not easy for them to write novels. Where do you get your inspiration from? It's interesting. Uh, I would say my subconscious, which is very different from the way I used to write in business because When you write in business, you write from your consciousness. It's typically a very rational, analytical way of writing. You have a point of view. You have to get supporting facts for that point of view. And typically, you try to convince the audience to your point of view. You contrast that with, at least for me, fictional writing, which is totally driven by my subconscious. It's completely creative. I really don't know where the story is going. I could be 80% through my book and I don't know how it ends. Fortunately, I like happy endings. So <laughs> typically mm -hmm. it has a good ending, mm -hmm. but it's a completely different uh, subconscious creative process for me. Wow, this is fantastic. So what I can understand now is that you start with the characters and then the plot comes afterwards. Is it something like this? Well, it's something like that, uh, but it's really, it's really the ideas. And so I have always been curious uh, and on why things are the way they are. So for example, uh, some questions or, that I've wrestled with is if there is a God, How was he created and what is his purpose? I mean, that's that's a simple one <laughs> in mm -hmm. some respects. Mm -hmm. Another another issue, and this kind of reflects my uh, physics background, is uh, we have these universal constants in our universe, uh, such as gravity. And the question is, why do they work out so perfectly to support life? Did you know that if gravity was a little bit stronger, that after Big Bang, the universe would have exploded and then imploded, come right back together. Wow. And on the flip side, if the force was a little bit weaker, 
then the universe after Big Bang would have just kept expanding and nothing would have come together. Matter would not have come together. There would be no stars, no galaxies. So in other words, if it was less than 1% difference, we would have no life, not a different type of life in our universe, but no life in our universe. So why, how could it work out so perfectly? So that was another thing that just fascinated me. And by the way, that rule also applies for other of the universal constants. Another idea that I had was uh, humans are rational creatures in general. <laughs> Although some people might want to argue with some of our politicians exactly. about that. <laughs> but I have, a, I have a question for you, Lucia. Would you say you're guided by your intellect or your emotion? That's a good question, Bob. I think I'm guided by my emotions. But I can balance both depending on the situation. And I think emotions are a strength. And I can't imagine someone not having emotion, not showing emotions. Well, it's, uh, I could not, but you see a lot of people, and in fact, probably some of your listeners, view their emotions as a weakness and show vulnerability. And as a result, they try to hide them. So wow. I think you view emotions as a strength. And as a result, you also are guided by your emotions. What you'll also find are many people view their intellect as ultimately their strength and their emotions as a weakness. Even when I worked as a physiotherapist, I had to keep my emotions under control. When, you know, Bob, when treating my, my patients in this extremely challenging cases. But I still think emotions are what make us human. I agree. And if you look at what are the big decisions of your life, uh, you know, who you marry, um, where you're going to go, those are very emotional. You may, you may come up with a checklist that supports your <laughs> mm -hmm. emotional feeling. But in it's really driven by... Yeah, and as a person who worked in the medical field, even human bodies are so perfectly constructed that it's a complete system. When I studied anatomy, I've never been so amazed in my life. It's almost like um, it's pure technology. And even with this hand motion, you know, like supination and pronation, only humans can do this, moving your hand up and down. Monkeys can't, and it allows us to do so many things. And I thought about the creation of the universe many times as well. So, Bob, do you believe in coincidences? I do believe in coincidences. Um, and I also believe sometimes you're <laughs> there is some a little bit of predestiny too in where you go. Uh -huh. So I believe probably in, in both of those things. You've published your first book. What made you decide to write a book that's centered around fiction or sci-fi? <laughs> well, that's a great question, Lucia, because a lot of my friends who actually wrote, wrote nonfiction, typically books about business and entrepreneurism and things like that. But I wanted to write a story that included uh, science speculation, a universal spirit, 
and ethics, such as inequality. And fiction seemed like a good means to combine these three often mutually exclusive topics. And, but that also raised a issue for me in my writing in that where does, how does my book fit? It has, it's a book of big ideas. It has science relation. It has God or spirituality. It has ethics. Those are, those, there's no book section as you go to the bookstore that, mm-hmm. <laughs> in fact, it's one, it's one or the other. And so it was, it was a tough journey for me. And in fact, I had to, I wrote, I don't know, hundred letters to literary agents and got no response because they just didn't know what to do with it. In fact, if there was a response, that would be it. But I finally came across a new genre called uh, visionary fiction that combined sci-fi and spirituality and typically with a transformation of a person or a world. And so that one actually fit pretty well. And that's also where I found a couple of other writers similar to me, and I also found uh, my publisher. Yeah, this is the first time I hear something about visionary fiction. I thought your genre was new age fiction. I don't think so. Um, Just because that, I believe, would be more on the spiritual side, but that's less on the uh, science fiction piece. I mean, maybe maybe it could fit in there, uh, but it didn't didn't seem to fit. And and again, that single transformation of a world, you know, that kind of the sci-fi t- sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. Do, maybe when you read it, that's what you'll say. Wow, this is <laughs> new <laughs> age fiction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Bob, how do you write from a teenager perspective? Uh, well. My writing comes from my subconscious, and I think my subconscious thinks I'm a teenager. Uh, The reason I say that is that uh, when I dream, I'm typically a young adult, uh, a child, or a teenager, and that's who I believe my subconscious really thinks I am. Now, I don't know if I'm weird. Uh, Lucia, what what about for you? you? Who are you when you dream? I feel exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. And that's why I write for kids. My ideas come so naturally. It's as if I am a kid myself, you know, and I'm experiencing the same feeling as my characters. Maybe we write these books to make us feel young. And I believe Walt Disney thought the same way when he wrote Growing old is mandatory, but growing up is optional. What do you think about it? Do you agree? Yes, I agree 100% with that. I believe that inside of us, we're all kids or teenagers. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not until you get older that you realize that that, the quote you just said was absolutely right. I remember as a kid talking to my parents or my grandparents, and they seemed so old, so wise, well, maybe wise, but just totally different. And yet, I think if I could go back and ask them, do they, do you still feel like you're kind of a teenager deep down inside? I think 
that they would say yes. I would be interested mm-hmm. in your listeners right now if they would agree with that. But I agree with uh, Walt Disney's uh, quote. So, dear listeners, do you feel like a teenager sometimes? Leave your opinion at the Relatable Voice podcast Instagram, and I will be more than happy to read and reply. So, on a related note, what is your favorite part of growing older? My favorite part of growing older? Well, that's a good question. And it, in some ways, it's that I become, I think you get, you start putting things in greater perspective. So, I've now concluded that life is kind of three phases. Mm. You have your childhood phase where you're a child living with your family, you're going to school, your friends are really important trying to find out who you are. So that's phase one, typically lasts say 16 years. And then you have the second phase of your life. And that's where most people think is the main Mm -hmm. phase of their life, which is you have a family, raise a family, meet a partner, and you have a career. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's that second phase. And then the third phase, which is, you know, I'd always viewed was retirement, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, I now believe that it's a phase that the first two actually build. And for me, it's part of it is writing. I know that. It's something I would have never have done uh, earlier. But now I don't know where this desire to write came from, but it's there and it's pushing me forward. And I think it's a wonderful thing. And I think everyone has these three phases. They may not they may actually try to cling on to their first phase. They may cling to the second. They may skip a phase. But in general, people have these three phases. You explained very well, Bob. In the third phase is when people have more time to enjoy life, to go for a walk and really pay attention about things, important things that are the small things and also start doing what they always dreamed about. Which you, which you may never have realized before. And that's, that's the thing. In your first phase of life, you don't think there's anything else. I mean, in your second phase of life, you just say, I'm going to be working, raising a family. That's all there is. And now in, it's that perspective that you get with, with, um, as you get older. Mm-hmm. I think that's been the greatest insight for me. Mm-hmm. And Bob, back to your book. Your main Mm -hmm. character is Alice Blair. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you had to describe her character in three words, what would those three words be? Insecure teenage girl. (laughs) Um, Ah, yeah, insecure teenage girl. You said three words. I was... I was waiting for the other two words. This was a very good answer. And have you always want to be a writer? <laughs> well, I never expected to be a writer. And one reason for that is I have a mild dyslexia. So as a child, I remember reading uh, a page and being unable to remember anything on that. I remember reading sentences and getting the, you know, for let's say a math problem, getting the numbers wrong. 
And so I always had a real problem with uh, reading as a kid. And that then extended to writing, that extended to all of English. So I really shied away from all of that. I was good in science and math, so I just really focused on that side of uh, the house, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then uh, I, I guess maybe in my high school days, I started to overcome that issue with the dyslexia. And perhaps because I didn't read much as a younger person, I really enjoyed, got a passion for reading. And it was a lot of actually nonfiction. So I was really interested in philosophy, science, history, uh, biographies, as well as a little bit of sci-fi and fantasy. And then it's only been in the last five years that I've had any desire to, to write. I mean, again, I don't know where that desire came from. I had all these ideas, but I never really, you know, be fun to, at a cocktail party to talk about them. But mm -hmm. why I wanted to write them and write a story, include them in a story is, is beyond me, which is kind of goes back to sometimes I think that, you know, maybe <laughs> there's a plan for you and it's, uh -huh. uh, it's taken a while, but for you to realize what that is, but uh, that, that's where I am right now. Mm -hmm. And a couple of your relatives were scientists, including your grandfather who won a Nobel Prize. Mm -hmm. Actually, I've never known anyone who's known a no Nobel Prize winner. <laughs> <laughs> This is my first time. So what did he win the Nobel Prize for? Uh, it was actually he isolated the first uh, virus. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, in fact, you remember the book Earth Abides? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the author, he's, he's quoted in the very beginning of that because he was kind of the expert in that. And that's Earth Abides is the story of a virus that destroys all of humanity on the earth, you know, wow. in Earth. So, yeah. In fact, my second book has a virus in it. <laughs> but, but, well, it seems appropriate for the time. It's not a deadly virus. It's an infertility virus. So. Okay. And was the conflict of science and religion a big debate in your family? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, so in my family, they're typically atheists, best case agnostic. Uh, my other classmates, when I was an engineer, it was mainly atheists. And, you know, science, the things that they can explain everything in scientific uh, terms, um, empirical, you know, experiments and things of that sort. And I think the issue was that a lot of scientists slash rational thinkers don't, don't agree with uh, religious doctrine. Uh, you know, why, if you're Catholic, why can't women be a priest? Mm -hmm. Why, you know, why uh, if there's out of control birth, can you not support birth control? Uh, there are many, many uh, issues in, which is not in any books or anything, religious books, but it's just doctrine of the religion. And this is true for a lot of different religions. And what ends up happening, I think, is that a lot of these people who grew up 
uh, religious. Uh, they see these doctrines, they don't agree with them, and they leave the church, but or the religious uh, religion. And unfortunately, they also think that that means they have to leave God. They viewed religion as the way to reach God. And I think that's a, a big uh, mis, uh, mistake. Uh -huh. I don't think the two are in sync necessarily. And that's actually the idea that I have for my next book, which is trying to combine, trying, I don't know how it's going to go yet. I'll have to turn that over to my subconscious. But I think there's something really interesting there, how religion has been able to dominate being the voice of, quote, God to the people, being the, the only represent, representative. And I think that science and, in fact, many intellectuals who are currently atheists don't necessarily, if you really talk with them, might not end up in that, that camp. But I can understand why they are right now. Yes, and back to your book, I I really enjoy reading about this theme. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? I describe how God is created, and it is scientifically. Mm -hmm. um, I, so, which is good because typically people would say, um, you know, if you believe in God, where did he come from? So I do answer that question, and then again, again with the earlier questions about uh, universal design versus just randomness, it can't be random mm -hmm. unless you believe in a multiverse, mm -hmm. which is an infinite number of universes. But I think anyone who sees the largeness, the bigness of our universe and having to, to come up with a multiverse is just a way to justify your view. And that's actually, that's in my, in my perspective, that's just rationale for an incorrect view. So I think if you talk to people in, in scientific terms, you don't say, well, you know, the Bible says this, this is why you should believe in God. Uh, but you say scientifically, this is why I believe that there has to be a, a spirit, a universal spirit. I think, I think many people might agree with that. Wow, that sounds very, very interesting. And when are you planning to publish your next book? So the, the next book will be published this summer, uh, probably the end of summer, potentially fall. It's, it's been written and it is called A Cry for Beauty. And as I mentioned, there's a virus in there. There's also mm -hmm. AI. Uh, I think a number of scientists have talked about some of the dangers of artificial intelligence. So I explore that. And um, the book takes a very interesting twist towards the end. So it really sets up then for my third book, which mm -hmm. I'm in the middle of writing right now. Uh, and that should probably come out the end of uh, sometime early next year. Congratulations, Bob. You discovered a new genre. Yeah, that's called visionary fiction. You published your book her dark matter necklace and you have already plans to publish two more books so please tell us where we can find you and your books well it's uh, i have a website and it's called bobalbo.com is the site so that's mm -hmm. one word bobalbo.com mm -hmm. and then on facebook i have a facebook page which is her dark matter necklace 
-hmm. And uh, in Instagram, I have, uh, I've just started that. And this is actually pretty funny because I bring this, the Instagram uh, site that I use, it's called St. Robert's School, which Mm -hmm. is part of my second book. (laughs) Oh, okay. <laughs> and so I actually, what I'm doing in real life, I actually talk about in the, in the fictional story. So, <laughs> uh-huh. although I have a lot more followers in my, in my fictional book than I actually do in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Power and, of the pen. <laughs> and your book is on Amazon because I've already downloaded it there. Yes. And yep. like, and you published in, uh, you have paperback and you also have ebook. Yes. Okay. That's fantastic. And then I think an audiobook is coming out. My publisher says he's going to produce an audiobook, but I don't know when that's coming out. Yeah, audiobooks are amazing. I can't think about driving without listening to audiobooks or listening to podcasts as well. So, Bob, thank you very much for your participation. And I hope you can publish your two books soon and come back. Okay, Lucia, appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. My pleasure, Bob. It was a very good conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time.